Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, a letter and epistle that is, as I've noted before, while very theologically rich, also very practical. And as I have received a number of questions from you highlighting both the theologically rich and uh, very practical, I want to make a note about that. My dear friends, theology should always be practical, <laughs> okay? Uh, we define theology as fides corens intellectum, faith seeking understanding. And if everything we do is to be caught up in the light of our faith in Jesus Christ and the Trinitarian life, well then, <laughs> theology should always be practical because Faith should always be forming and informing what we do, forming and informing all of the encounters we have with one another. There isn't any one thing that we do that should ever be seen as autonomous from our relationship with Jesus Christ. Huh? I always put this in the context of, more generally, the relationships we find ourselves in, and even within that, more specifically, uh, marriage, right? A lot of what we do involves our spouse. And even if our spouse is not with us, they're with us in heart and mind, right? And the decisions we make are often seen, should be seen, right? In the light of uh, that spouse, in light of the relationship you find yourself in. And it is no different with our relationship in our relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Our relationship with Jesus Christ should be impacting in every way the decisions we make. This is what we call discernment, right? The word discernment simply means to come to understand. If we're going to come to understand what God wants us to do, then, well, we have to take stock in our relationship with Jesus Christ, because if there's no conversation with God, if there's no prayer, then do you think you're going to be doing the will of God? To live is to pray, and to pray is to live, as the Catechism says. And we could add, to pray is to discern, and to discern is to live, right? So theology and what is practical should always be seen in light of each other. Now, all that being said, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. I know I've already touched upon verse 1, but I'll go ahead and read verse 1 again, put it within the context of verses 1 to 5, and then we will carry on. So if you have your Bibles out there, and if you want to turn to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. You can do so now. Again, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. 
Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then every man will receive his commendation from God. So just in reading that, you can get a sense of, once again, how theologically rich it is, but at the same time, very practical. Now, I briefly talked about the word steward last week, and I want to bring this up again. I want to take up this topic just a little bit further. How are we intended to understand that word steward? Who was a steward? Well, the stewards were those who had authority from the owner to manage the estate for the owner, and who, of course, in this case is who? But Christ. It is a solemn responsibility for in their hands are placed the what? The mysteries of God. Now, Paul's listeners would be very familiar with the term and the idea of mystery. Why? Because in the Greek society of their day, there are all kinds of religions that claim to offer access to the unknown. Not only the mystery religions with their secret rituals, comparable to today's New Age cults, but also fortune tellers and prophets, just as there are psychics and, and palm readers today. But for Paul, the mysteries he is talking about are those who belong to not a fortune teller, not a prophet, not a palm reader or psychic, but to God. Those mysteries which are primarily his plan of salvation of the world through him. And these mysteries are not hidden and esoteric. They have now been revealed. They have now been revealed. So the Christian faith is not one mystery among many, but the mystery that stands above all the others. Now, there's something in play here we have to talk about, and that is what, or should I say who, makes God's mystery present in the life of the Christian, but the Holy Spirit, right? If God's love is the great mystery, and God's love is the Holy Spirit, then, my friends, the Holy Spirit reveals God's mystery. The Holy Spirit is the gift that we could say guarantees the active presence of the mystery in history, the one who ensures its actualization down through the centuries. Essentially, we could say the Holy Spirit is the great protagonist of all Christianity in history. Thanks to the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can rightfully say it will always be possible for subsequent generations to experience and encounter the risen life of Christ just as the earliest believing communities. We see in sacred scripture that Christ explicitly entrusted to the apostles the task of making disciples of all nations, guaranteeing his presence and help to the end of the age. What does he say? I will be with you always. And why does he say that? How could he say that? Because he gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Go forth and baptize and teach. Now, what's more when you talk about the Holy Spirit working in history is the importance of sacred tradition. There's that all-important passage that comes to us in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15, where Paul is talking about 
staying steadfast to just not what has been written, but the oral transmission of the faith. We define sacred tradition as the oral transmission of the faith under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sacred tradition is a divine intervention where God makes present Christ the same to us today as he did 2,000 years ago. And so the word tradition here is very important, sacred tradition. Now we define tradition, lowercase t, as the principle that what? Links one generation to another. Within our own circles, the principle that allows us to remain with our parents, we could say, huh? Tradition in this sense is conversation with the past. It is memory. And as many of us can attest to, memory enriches experience, right? I mean, why do we have the traditions that we have during Advent, Christmas, Lent, Easter, and so on? Because memory itself is more than just matting a picture on the wall, but it is about our identity. We are at our best as a person and persons when we remember who we are and where we come from. Here I am made to reflect upon an assignment I once gave when I was teaching the sixth grade. It was a family tree assignment. Now, many parents at that time came to me and said, you know, Joe, I've been wanting to do the family tree for a very long time, and I just never set aside time. Well, this is now the time to do it. And so they did. And I gave them a few months to do this because I knew that it was going to take time, not to overuse the word, but take time to speak with their parents, grandparents, and in some cases, great-grandparents, and, and go online to maybe Ancestry.com and do their homework and, and put together this family tree. Now, I talk about this because one of the things that I was so fascinated by was when the parents came back to me, and this was one of the few family assignments I gave, right? Often I would have to tell the parents, don't do your child's homework. Well, this time I encouraged the parents to be a part of their child's homework. And in fact, I even encouraged the parents to come and present their family tree with their child. And they did. And I could just see the sense of excitement in just not the parent, but also the student. That sense of excitement that comes when you discover just not where you come from, but in so doing, who you are. See, that's what happens when you carry on that conversation with the past. That's why memory is so important to who we are. Just by way of footnote, one of the other things I remember is the appreciation that came from some of the parents and students when they realized the kind of tenacity that their forefathers were a part of to either make it to the United States or maybe make it across the country. Suddenly, their sacrifices encouraged them to sacrifice. I mean, this was going so far as to encourage sanctity and holiness, mindful that the very word sacrifice means to make holy. So, what we are talking about now as it relates to memory, tradition, the past, is not something merely human, but also something that is divine. Jesus has something very important to say about memory, and it's linked to the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. Because in John chapter 14, verse 26, he says that the Holy Spirit will come to you, that you will remember the things that you need to remember. 
So the Holy Spirit will teach us all things and bring to us God by way of memory. Here, we are made to appreciate that theologically, the liturgy is the church's memory. Have you ever considered that every time you go to Mass, you are remembering, making present the past, not only in and with Christ on the altar, but also in all the Masses as they come to us in memorials and feast days. The church busies itself with handing on the faith in and through the sacramental life of the church so that we what? Remember. Remember the greatness of God's love and how this love reveals the stuff of mystery. The stuff of mystery. Just by way of postscript to this opening verse, consider Christ's commands. We know the big one. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love neighbors yourself. But what about the other two? Do this in remembrance of me, right? He didn't say write this, but do this in remembrance of me. And of course, this is in the context of when he was instituting the Eucharist. So do this in remembrance of me. How important is that? This is why we say the church is made present upon the altar because the word remembrance in its Latin literally translates as making present the past, literally. Now, how about the other commandment? Go, therefore, baptize and teach. I just mentioned that. So the church's identity is, yes, about loving God and neighbor, but also about the Eucharist and ultimately the larger sacramental faith and this call we have to teach it. Go, therefore, baptize and teach. Go, therefore, sacramentalize and catechize. Do you now understand why this mystery transcends any and every other mystery? How any mystery out there is only a shadow of this one great mystery because this one great mystery is about God himself? (laughs) All right. How about verse 2? Lest we never get out of verse (laughs) 1. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Trustworthy. Does this reading sound familiar? It should, because if today is Monday, yesterday, the eighth Sunday in ordinary time, we heard this reading. Isn't our Lord so sovereign and providential? I sat there at Mass yesterday thinking to myself, gosh, this is the very reading we are going to talk about tomorrow. And when I was listening to this reading, verse 2 really hit me because of the word trustworthy. Now, the gospel for the eighth Sunday in ordinary time is what? But Matthew 6, verses 24 to 34, which is, which is the great gospel sermon on trust. Do not be preoccupied. Do not be anxious. Do not worry but surrender yourself to me. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the rest will be given to you. It's about trust. It's about trust. Trust is the most concrete act and virtue of faith. We will take the leap only if we trust the person who is going to catch us. I was at the park yesterday and my three-year-old was at the top of the slide. It was like the tallest slide she has ever been on. And she was not going to go down the slide until she saw me come to the base of the slide. Once she saw me, she realized I can go down the slide because my daddy's going to catch me. 
my daddy's going to be there to grab me. And she did, screaming and crying, but laughing in the end, right? She trusted me. She had faith in me. So again, the word trustworthy is important because ultimately, once we trust our friends, then we will confide in them. And that trustworthiness, if you will, will allow us to go deeper in our faith. Again, here, Paul's talking about stewards, so those, so those first priests and bishops. And how important is that, especially today? Uh, certainly as a Catholic, I can say one of the things that has impacted the Catholic Church over the last 15 years in the light of the sex scandal is the lack of trust. The lack of trust and having a number of priests who I call friends who are holy talk about this, it, it hurts them a great deal because we must remember something. It was and is a very small percentage of, of men who scandalized the church, but now, more generally speaking, so many people just don't trust the Catholic Church, just don't trust the priesthood, and it hurts them because they haven't done anything wrong. So this is why Paul says this, you better be found trustworthy because you're the town clock and everyone's looking, okay? That being said, we all are called to be found trustworthy, right? Because how can we ever build any relationship up if we are not found trustworthy? Don't be double-minded. Don't be hypocritical. Avoid those sins because people won't trust you anymore. Let's just speak to it in its most plain terms. When we betray people, simply put, they don't trust us anymore. And we are all weak. And if we are given a reason not to trust you, we will not trust you. Or if I've given you a reason not to trust me, you will not trust me. It's very hard for us to get over one another's sins. And while we have this vocation to forgive and move forward, it's hard. So let us give each other the benefit of the doubt and be found trustworthy. A very important point, mindful of, of Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 to 34. The more we trust in God, the more we ourselves will be found, what? Trustworthy. Again, as it is an act, it is also a virtue. Okay, how about verses 3 to 5? But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then every man will receive his commendation from God. So what's going on here? Well, Paul first addresses those who would judge him. Your judgment, he says, does not concern me in the least. <laughs> I kind of like that. Paul is not concerned about what people think of him. If he is concerned, as he has been for more than three chapters now, about the way they are comparing ministers, it is for the sake of the unity of the community and not because he sets any value on such judgments. So I do not even pass judgment on himself. What does he mean there? Well, Paul is using judgment in two senses here. First, as the judgment of his conscience, and second, as the judgment of the relative value of himself. 
and the other ministers. As far as his conscience is concerned, he is not conscious of anything against himself. Although, interestingly here, his conscience is clear. He does not judge himself acquitted. Why? Quite simply, while he may have faults, he cannot see them. We all have blind spots, and Paul recognizes that he has blind spots. But they're blind spots, so he doesn't see them. Here we should consider Psalm chapter 19, verse 13, right? Because, quite simply, we may have faults that we cannot see. So he leaves that judgment to the Lord. So both for himself and in comparison with others, Paul refuses to judge. Now, does this mean we should not judge? Well, no. But I'm not going to get into that right now because we're going to get into that on Thursday. All right? So stay tuned for Thursday because Thursday's program, Special Topic Thursday, tailored to your questions, is going to take up the question, who am I to judge? So tune in on Thursday. Who am I to judge? A very important question. So what we are made to see is the value of Paul's listeners and how they should follow his example and not pass judgment specifically on the relative value of the minister. So we could speak to that for now, right? The Lord will do that at the appointed time when the Lord comes. Here, we should go to Luke chapter 12, verse 2. There is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, nor secret that will not be known. And here we should point out, as Paul points out later in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, even the greatest works of ministry done without love avail what but nothing. And my dear friends, could we not say that that is as sharp of a reminder that if love is not our first and foremost vocation, then we are coming up short in the Christian life. Love has to lead. Love must be our motive. And if we feel like we are lacking in love, then we need to allow the divine life of love to invade our souls. Invade our souls, my dear friends, through and through. Even the greatest works, if they are without love, are of no avail, are of no worth. Gosh, there are so few verses in all of sacred scripture that convict me. Mindful that, that I'm, I'm not always motivated by love. By the grace of God go I, by the grace of God go all of us. What does Paul say there? When he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will manifest the motives of our hearts. Note that in saying then everyone will perceive praise from God, Paul does not anticipate condemnation on any of these particular ministers. Only the relative degree of praise they will receive according to the value of the ministry they have performed something that we have already touched upon in chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. My friends, there is a tendency to look at the minister in here, in this case, your pastor, or for Catholics, you know, your local priest or, or bishop, and place judgments upon them. Well, they should be doing this, and they, they should be doing that. But we have to be mindful of something, and here we will begin to tap into what we are going to talk about on Thursday— that we do not know the situations that others might find themselves in. And point of fact, on Thursday, we will draw out uh, that all-important passage from Joy of the Gospel and Pope Francis when he says, each person's situation before God and their life in grace are mysteries, 
which no one can fully know from without. So while there are some things that which is objective, we can place a judgment upon. What we have to be careful of is that we don't take those judgments so far as to actually judge their soul. Mindful, mindful that in the end, we do not know the particularity and concreteness of every situation. And again, structured within the framework of these verses, those ministers who we find ourselves encountering, who we are in relationship with, right? Our pastor, our priest, our bishop. There are so many situations that they themselves are in that we have no idea that motivates them to do what they do. And I'll tell you something, in some cases, what we think is objective isn't objective, but we are simply relying on what we think we know. What is that passage that comes to us from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5? Do not rely on what you think you know, but trust the wisdom of God. And what is the wisdom of God? But that which is always rooted in patience. Because what does James 1.4 say? Patience perfects all things. Patience perfects all things. Here I'm reminded of the story that is told where the mother goes to the daughter who's grabbing both apples and, and she says to her daughter, save one for me. And so after hearing that, the daughter takes a bite out of both apples. And the mom, under the impression that her daughter took a bite out of both apples so that then in turn she wouldn't want either of the apples, got on her and said, well, why, why did you do that? Why would you do that? I just said I wanted an apple. And the daughter responded, well, mom, I just wanted to see which one was sweeter to save for you. Huh? <laughs> Patience perfects all things. So be careful about the judgments we pass on others, especially ministers, especially those leaders of our faith, as Catholics, bishops, and, and the Pope, because sometimes we just may not know how God is using whatever it is that they're doing. Now, that being said, does that mean we are to never pass judgment, especially if there's something going on in the life of our local church or the universal church? No, no, but we need to be discerning. And if we are called to engage someone, admonish someone, even if they are a leader, we do so in the right protocol, that protocol that Jesus Christ himself establishes, right? Go to them behind closed doors, have the necessary conversation, and always have that conversation with that cardinal virtue of prudence in the rearview mirror. Understand that prudence is that virtue which is sagacious. It has an acute awareness into the decision that you're about to make and how it impacts the future. Everything we do has an impact upon something or someone in a positive or negative way. We need to act prudently. Huh? All right. With that, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.